Well, good morning. God bless. Thank you for joining us today. We are going to be looking today at Acts chapter 11. So if you are in a position where you can do so, uh, please go ahead and open your Bibles up there to Acts chapter 11. Again, as I usually mention, if you weren't with us in our last study when we studied Acts chapter 10, that teaching along with all of our other teachings can be found in podcast form on various um, podcast platforms by searching for A Love Outreach. You can also find many, not all of our teachings on YouTube as well, also under the name of A Love Outreach. But let's go ahead and jump on into our verses for today. Acts chapter 11 and verse 1. It says, Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision, that would be those of the Jewish religion, contended with him, saying, You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them? Now, notice there at the end of verse 3 the exclamation point, right? Uh, they were very emphatic by this. They were upset. And these were other believers. These were apostles, other apostles and believers in Jesus. They're called brethren there. They were the Jewish believers. But in Judea, which is the southern part of Israel where Jerusalem is, the other apostles were gathered there, and, and they confronted Peter here over the fact that he went into the home of and fellowshiped with non-Jews. And that sounds kind of funny because we know that the will of the Lord is being done here, but this was a big deal at that time. And we talked about last week when we studied Acts chapter 10 of the book of Acts, and we saw that the Lord was in the midst of it doing something. The Lord was doing something in all of this. He had something for both Cornelius, who, if you remember from Acts chapter 10, he was a Gentile man um, that had something to learn. He had something he needed to grow in. And he also had something for Peter, a Jewish believer and an apostle of Jesus, right? He had something for Peter to learn as well. And now as we think on this, that is, as we think on the fact that even Peter an apostle of the Lord, and all these other apostles that are right now at the beginning of chapter 11, we see them confronting Peter with some prejudice here, right? They had a lot to learn as well. So keep in mind that all, or excuse me, that Peter and all the other apostles had spent three years walking day by day and night by night face to face with Jesus Christ. Today we walk by faith in the Lord. They were with him, and they, they were with him for a three-year period. And at this point here in our reading of the book of Acts, it is said to be about nine years after Jesus had ascended and went back into heaven. So this is nine years after that, okay? So that means that Peter had about 12 years of maturity as a follower of Jesus Christ under his belt. And like I said, he walked face to face with Jesus and he still had something to learn. So there's always room for growth in our lives, always room to grow as God's plan continues to unfold in this world and in our lives. You see, God doesn't change, right? 
His plan is still the same. His plan is still the same in that he desires that mankind would repent and come to Jesus. That's the ultimate plan of God. That's why he sent his only begotten son, that whomsoever would believe on him would not perish, but have everlasting life, right? So as time goes by, the plan of God continues to unfold, and all of us still need to grow in the Lord. So what we can learn as we read the scriptures here is even though that they knew Jesus face to face, they didn't know all that there was to know. You and I will never fully comprehend all that God is doing. His plan is too grand for us. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2 and verse 9 says very emphatically that eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love him. That's such a powerful scripture that, that I really encourage you to take time to think on, to meditate on. It's found in, you don't need to turn there right now, but it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. I want to read it to you again. It says that I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love him. So God has a plan for each and every life. He has a plan for your life. And, but oftentimes we want to see it now. That's the way we are. We're like a microwave society right now, right? Give it to me now. Give it to me quick. Give me everything I want now. I don't want anything delayed. But God doesn't work like that in our lives. Little by little, he's growing us to a, a place of maturity where he has for us to be right and far too often we pray for and we desire for our will to be done rather than just submitting our lives to the will of God and they are two different things believe me you know and and who are we to think that we can comprehend the ultimate plan of God who are we to think that we can comprehend everything that there is to know about God in this world or in our lives, whatever. He's far greater than that. You know, the prophet Isaiah, uh, in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 55, he quoted the Lord and he, and he said this. He said, for my thoughts, this is speaking from the Lord, right? He said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts, right? And I spoke to you last week about how we need to be sure that we are always pliable. That is, we're, we're willing to be molded by the Lord, always willing to change, never to act like we're better than every, everyone else or we know everything, right? It's not the Lord's desire for our lives. He desires that we're that, that we're willing to, to change and willing to grow, that he can shape us, you see. And what we're reading about here in these, just in those first few verses that I've read this morning, is that Peter is being confronted here, and, and really, in a sense, he's kind of like on trial before his peers here, some other apostles and some other believers in Jesus, simply for going into the home of a non-Jew, right? 
And it would be very fair to say that this was prejudice taking place here. One group of people, in this case it's these Jewish believers in Jesus, they've not yet gotten past their dislike for the non-Jews, the Gentiles. Now, in case you didn't know, when we use the word Gentile, a Gentile is anybody that's not a Jew. That's the two classifications of people from a biblical standpoint. You have the Jew and the Gentile. So it doesn't matter, matter whether you're black, white, Latino, whatever. If you're not a Jew, when you're reading the Bible, you're a Gentile, right? And back in those days, though, in a sense, the Jews had their reasons for feeling the way they did about the non-Jews, or at least they had a little bit of piety about them because of it. You see, in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, again, speaking of the Jews, the Lord God says, this people, he's speaking of the Jews, and he says, this people have I formed for myself. They shall declare my praise. So again, this is the Old Testament book of Isaiah that says that. And then in the Old Testament book of Amos, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it speaks um, of the children of Israel, the Jews, and it says, you only, this is the Lord speaking again, and he says, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. So you see, God did indeed put his attention on this one group of people, but, and he called them his chosen people, but he had a reason for that. He had an ultimate plan that needed to unfold. And that plan that needed to unfold was that the Messiah was going to come. And he had to pick a people group in a sense. And those were his people. Those were his chosen people. And he would use them and he would work through them and all of that. So it, it, he didn't choose them, though, because of their ethnicity. You know, he didn't choose them because of that. He just chose them. He just chose this group of people to bring the Messiah through, to bring Jesus through, right? So, and from the time that he chose this group of people until the time of Christ, until Christ came on the scene, right, born of a virgin and, and grew up and, and walked on the earth and had his ministry, was crucified, dead, and buried. From the time of choosing those people till the time of Christ, 1,400 years had gone by. There was 1,400 years there. So just because the Jews knew that they were God's chosen did not mean that God still didn't have another part of his plan that, yet, that was yet to unfold. But in fairness to them, they didn't know that. They just knew they were God's chosen people and everyone else wasn't chosen in that sense like they were. Okay, So in that case, that made them a little bit snooty. Right. So they were they did have some prejudice. But remember, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But why were they prejudiced? They were prejudiced because they were ignorant to the complete plan of God. And that's what prejudice is, by the way. Prejudice is some form of ignorance, right? It's some form of ignorance. You're ignorant about someone else and you become prejudiced about them, right? But as you read the entirety of the Bible, you find that the Messiah was to be Savior of all the world. Not just the Jewish people only, but the Jews were missing that part of God's plan. And as we read now here in the book of Acts about these New Testament Jewish believers in Jesus, they were the first recipients 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Until you get to Acts chapter 10, the gospel was never preached to anybody except Jews because that's what Jesus told his disciples to do. Take it to them, right? But God still had a bigger plan. And when we got to Acts chapter 10, we found out, okay, here's something different about God's plan. He's now reaching out to Gentiles and he sends Peter to the house of this man, Cornelius, who was an Italian man. And he shares the gospel there and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They become believers in Jesus. Peter's eyes are open to say, truly God's got a plan. He's doing something here. But now as we come into Acts chapter 11, he's now got to explain all of this to all his peers, the other people that are, haven't grown yet. Okay, So then in verse 4, but Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning. So he tells them the story. And we read this last week. It's kind of repeated here. But he says, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. An object descending down like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners. And it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. And if you remember last week, I talked about and I pointed out to you how on a couple different occasions, as you read the New Testament, Peter always told the Lord no. Not always, but on a few different occasions. No, I'm not doing that. No, you're not doing that. Not so, Lord. Peter had a lot of growing to do. But it's kind of, it's kind of fun that we see a guy like Peter in there. Because sometimes we can see ourselves when, we're, when we want to fight against the will of the Lord or when we want to be disobedient or whatever. The Bible is real. The Bible you know, presents truth. It doesn't hide things. It didn't, you know, you might see pictures of the apostles, Peter and James and John and these guys. You might see drawings or, you know, an artist do work where they got a halo over their head, right? Like they were pure and holy or something. They weren't. They weren't at all. And, and you can find that out just by reading the New Testament, right? Now, um, let me just quickly interject here that what Peter states in verse 8 was just a part of his religious up, upbringing, though, when he said, I'm not going to eat anything uh, common or unclean. The, the traditions that he had received and obeyed all through his life taught him that. That was part of the law that the Jews followed. And there was a list of foods that were considered unclean for them. And, and that's what the Lord shows in this vision. Vision. Here's all these unclean animals, Peter. Go ahead, rise and eat. And Peter says, not so, I'm not doing it. But, but, but the Lord was showing Peter, hey, things are about to change. I'm doing something new now, okay? So verse 9, but the voice, Peter continues, he says, but the voice answered me again from heaven, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now this was done three times and all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. So look, Peter received right the elements of this vision three times, he says. It was repeated three times. And there were three Gentile men knocking at the door. 
So the Lord was making something very clear to Peter here. What I'm calling clean, you don't call unclean. And, and, and God's saying, hey, I'm about to call these Gentile people clean because that's the great plan here of the Lord, right? Then verse 12 says, Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. So Peter had six Jewish men with him as well, okay, when he went to Cornelius' house. So there were seven in them total that were violating the Jewish law at this point. And that's what Peter's kind of pointing out here, saying, hey, wasn't just me. These six others were with me as well. And, you know, I'm sure that in, the, in, in his flesh that it was very difficult for Peter to do what the Lord wanted him to do. But nonetheless, he obeyed the leading of the Spirit of the Lord. And I point that out because oftentimes if we were to think about these scriptures we're reading here, and as I teach the Bible, that's what I like to get you to do is to really think about how it applies to, to your life personally, how it applies to my life. That's how I read it. And when I write my notes and when I study this, it's really what the Bible is speaking to me, what is what I'm teaching to you, right? We will come to realize, though, that as we do that, that there is so much for us to learn as well. So much room for change, so much room for growth. And it really doesn't matter how long we've been walking with the Lord. We are so prone to see the small picture and not the big picture. It's very easy for us in this life to have a tunnel vision, right? A very narrow vision. And we think things need to work out this way or that way, and we got it all planned out. But God doesn't always work that way. Why? Because our thoughts are not His thoughts. Our ways are not His ways. His ways are much higher than ours. And He does all things in His timing. And that really bothers us the most sometimes, doesn't it? We want it in our timing, right? So we only know what has been revealed to us in the Word of God, and we know what the, the Holy Spirit allows for us to see as we grow and as we go through this life, our stage of maturity wherever we are. But the key point and the most important thing is that we are surrendered to that will, that we give our lives to the will of the Lord. You know, and we, and we surrender to say, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. So Peter continues um, in verse 13, and he says of Cornelius, the man's house who he had went into, right? The Gentile house that he went into. Cornelius had orchestrated for his friends, his family, his neighbors to come over because there was a message he knew he needed to hear. And he wanted his neighbors and friends to hear this, his family to hear this message as well. So he invited these people over. And verse 13 says, And he, speaking of Cornelius, told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, Peter says, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
If therefore God gave them, speaking of the Gentiles, so this is a Jewish man who's in front of other Jewish people who are confronting him about what he did, and he says, if therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? Now that's a wonderful statement by Peter right there. He's saying, what do you want me to do? What God does is out of my hands and far greater than me. Again, Peter just yielded to the will of the Lord, even though it wasn't easy for him because he was raised up a certain way. He had a certain way of thinking, right? And it's also wonderful for all of the world that God loves each and every human being, no matter what people group they are of. God's plan is for all the world. Galatians 3.27 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. See, none of that matters. None of this outward matters when it comes to the work of Christ in our lives because He's doing a work in us. He's working in us to will and to do of His good pleasure. All right? that, that's where He's forming us and shaping us to be the people that are His children, to be the people that He wants us to be. So it doesn't matter who you are externally, what people group you're a part of, whether you're male or female, doesn't matter. Christ works in us, right? The only thing that matters is that you come to Jesus, that you surrender your life to him, okay? So Peter says all of this to them, and then in verse 18, it says, when they heard these things, they became silent. So Peter, what he said, spoke to their hearts. And they, they were kind of speechless in a sense for a moment, right? And then it says, and they glorified God saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. So you got to give these guys credit here. They, they, they heard the message and they said, hey, we got to change. This ain't right. God, it's not just about us. God is grant, granting to everybody the same thing that he's given us. The same opportunity that he gives to us, he gives to all people. Okay. Remember, John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. That's all people groups, right? All people groups, right? So, but the key ingredient there at the end of verse 18, I want to read the end of verse 18 again. It says, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. That's the key word, repentance, right? Do you want the life that Christ offers you? That abundant life that is promised to those that will believe on him? Well, it begins with repentance, turning from, just like we see with these men here, just like we see in the life of Peter. There's something I've got to turn from. There's something I've got to change. I've got to stop thinking the way I've always thought because it was the way I was raised up or whatever, and I've got to align myself with what God says and with what God's doing. And again, we find all of that in the pages of the Bible, which is why, again, I teach the Bible in the way I do to point you to that, right? And we need to turn from a sin-led life to a Holy Spirit-led life. 
we put away the sinful ways of our flesh, our fleshly desires, and we become obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And how do we know that we're led by the Spirit? Well, I want you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles now to the New Testament book of Galatians. Now, Galatians is just one book to the right. No, it's actually, what do you got? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, then Galatians. <laughs> so it's to the right from where we are, toward the back of your Bible. You'll find the book of Galatians. It's a smaller book. I want you to find Galatians chapter 5. After, if you get to 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, it's right after 2 Corinthians, Galatians chapter 5. And let's look down, and I want to start reading in verse 22. Remember, I just asked a question a moment ago. How do you know you're led by the Holy Spirit? How do we know that? How do we know how we should be walking, right? Well, verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. So in other words, there, there's no law greater than that. If we live this way, in accordance with the Holy Spirit, there ain't no religion we need to follow. There ain't no law we need to follow. There ain't no church we need to join. Nothing like that. This is being led by the Spirit. Okay? And verse 24 says, And those who are Christ, in other words, those who belong to Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its pleasures or excuse me, with its passions and desires. Hold on, i got to check something technical here real quick. Okay, I'm good. Um, if, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit, verse 25 says. And we saw right there in verse 22 and 23 what it looks like for a person to walk in the Spirit. They have these attributes in their lives. When you truly repent, when you truly come to faith in Jesus... There's a difference in the way you live. There's a difference in the way you behave. You begin to honor God with the things of your life. You honor God with the way you raise your children, with your marriage, with how you work, you know, and the things you do, how you relate to other people. You honor God in everything you do because you've crucified the flesh. You've put away the sinful desires, okay? And this all takes place by the leading of and by the work of the Holy Spirit when a person surrenders themselves to Jesus Christ, right? You now have available to you, if, you're, if you will yield to it, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces fruit, okay? And, and, and like we read there, love, joy, peace, patience, right? Patience is what long-suffering is, as the word is used there, long-suffering. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, okay? And if you just back up a few verses with me here, stay in Galatians chapter 5, and I'm going to kind of go backwards here, and, and we see the workings of those that are not led by the Spirit. What does it look like to not be led by the Spirit and to be led by the flesh? I just showed you what the, what the Holy Spirit 
produces, the type of fruit the Holy Spirit produces. But what about the flesh, right? What's it look like when someone's not walking in the Spirit? Verse 19, go backwards to verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, it says, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, right? And if you think about these things, we can make anything idols. We can make our job an idol. We can make money an idol, you know, whatever, right? Sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, you know, getting angry, outbursts, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, right? Which is like partying, you know, party hardy, right? Revelries and and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So there's a change that takes place when we repent. We have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives and no longer the fruit of the flesh, which all of us have walked in before we come to Christ, right? So if any of those things are prevalent in our lives that I just read, that we need to evaluate where we are and where there is need for repentance, right? And, and the Lord hasn't come back, and he, He's still working in our lives, so there's still room for repentance, right? Because in the end, our behavior, the way that we live, does matter when it comes to, like we read there, inheriting the kingdom of God, okay? So uh, I'm going to, we're going to, we're going to study on just a little bit more here, but I'm going to stop for our verses for today in the book of Acts. Um, I'm going to leave the rest of Acts chapter 11 to carry on into Acts chapter 12, but I'd really like to encourage you this morning to examine your own heart, right? All of us, myself included, right? Where do you find yourself today? Are you more led by the flesh, like those things we read, or, or are you more led by the Spirit? Do you see the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Now, before we close, I want to have you look at some scriptures, other scriptures here that tie into this. So I want you to turn to Ephesians, which is just one book toward the back of your Bible past Galatians here. Um, Galatians, then Ephesians. And I want you to find Ephesians chapter 6. So Ephesians chapter 6. The New Testament gives us some great instruction on how we live our lives. Okay, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. So there's work to be done here, isn't there, as we read this. Children need to obey their parents, but fathers And if there's no father, then mothers need to train their children up to be obedient to their parents, to obey their parents, because it would be well with them, and they'll live long on the earth. 
Many, many children die young because they go out acting like a fool and doing stupid things and not being obedient to their parents who might have told them, don't go do that. You know, and hopefully if you're a parent, that, that that is how you are training up your child to walk in the ways of the Lord. And I would assume that if you've hung in with this Bible study this far and you're still listening to me, that, that you're interested in doing that. Okay. Then it goes on, but the and like I said, the Bible gives us great instruction for life. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God. How? It says from the heart, right? With good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. So in our day and age, right, where the slavery was more prevalent back in that day and all of that, but he's saying, hey, if you, if you, he was talking to the slaves in that day saying, hey, if that's what you are, but you've come to Christ, just serve the Lord. Just do everything you do as unto the Lord, right? Today, maybe we can apply that to our work lives or to our bosses and such like that, um, knowing that ultimately it's really the Lord that we serve. You know, whether we go to work, you know, if, if I go to work and I'm in front of other people, I shouldn't change. It shouldn't change who I am, the way I behave, just because maybe they act differently or whatever. I need to be a servant of the Lord in whatever I do. And then verse 9 says, and you masters, so maybe we switch this over to the boss's side, right? And you masters, do the same things to them. Give up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. So in other words, again, remember I read earlier, there's neither slave nor free, male nor female in Christ. We're all one in Christ. It's not how God looks at it. Men, men do things, men and women do things on this earth that they set up systems that are wrong or they live wrong ways. And you might have to go to work someplace where maybe there's some cheating going on. Maybe different things are happening, but that's not the way that you're supposed to live. If you're submitted to Christ, that's not the way that I'm supposed to live, right? And if I'm a boss of someone else, I should treat that person, if they're a brother in, whether they're a brother in Christ or not, I should treat them as the Lord would treat another person, right? Doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. And then in verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You see, folks, there is strength in the Lord. When we are living in Christ, we can know the power of his might. We know his presence in our lives because we're yielding to him and we're walking in obedience to him. But it takes effort on our part. And there are things that we need to do. And verse 11, and this is the real reason I brought you here to Ephesians. I wanted to show you these scriptures because when I'm talking about walking in the spirit or walking in the flesh and, and what it looks like to walk in the spirit, what it looks like to walk in the flesh, how do we do it? You know, how, what do we do? Right? Well, verse 11 tells us here, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So, do you know what that's telling us right there? It's telling us that the devil is cunning and he wants to shoot you down, especially if you want to walk in Christ. You're a target to him, especially if you know, he'll bring more temptations your way, more reasons for you to get angry or whatever. 
but, but you can grow through all that by the power of the might of the Lord. Remember, Jesus speaking of the devil said in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. He said, but I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So that's what Jesus wants for us, abundant life. But for now, we're still in this world. And we still got to fight the fight of faith. And we've got to walk by faith and not by sight. And it's like it's a war. That, that battle, that spiritual battle that can go on. And verse 12 tells us, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You see, folks, again, there is a spiritual battle that takes place in our lives, so we must be alert and prepared. And verse 13 tells us, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. In other words, be fully equipped with everything that God wants you to do, right? That you may be able withstand, to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So he's kind of like um, putting all the armor on a soldier. He's painting this picture here. But we apply it spiritually to our lives as to how we live. And he says we have our waist girded with truth. Right. We're standing up straight and tall for truth. Right. And uh, we have the breastplate of righteousness. Living in righteousness matters. It's front and center. That's the that's the core thing in our lives. We got this breastplate on of righteousness. This is how we're living. OK. And we're walking in the truth and having your feet shod. Verse 15 with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So you see the good news of the gospel that that's what brings peace into someone's life. Peace with God. You see our sin and the way we live according to the flesh separates us from God. We don't have peace with God. But when we yield to the fruit of the spirit and the and walking in the spirit, we have peace with God. Right? Verse 16 says, above all, in other words, this is of the utmost importance, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. You see, that's the power of faith right there. In the armor of God, our faith is used to deflect the attacks of the devil. He attacks. We live in this world. We have problems. We have tribulation. Jesus said it would be so. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but we can be of good cheer because he has overcome and we know where we're going and we're just passing through. But there's a way that we live as Christians in this life, right? The devil will bring temptation. He brings despair. He'll bring anger. He'll bring lust, whatever else. And we just hold tightly to faith and we keep walking in righteousness and we have that shield of faith protecting us never losing sight of the Lord. And then it says in verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So that's the only offensive weapon that we have here in this armor that is described. That's the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. The devil is always 
aiming for our head, right? So we take that helmet of salvation. In other words, when I say he's always aiming for our head, spiritual warfare takes place in the mind. It's a matter of our thoughts, right? It's a matter of what we allow into our minds. And he wants us to lust in the flesh, to lust with our eyes. And he begins to bring thoughts to us. And when I say lust, I'm not just talking about sexual lust, anything, right? Anything, more of the world, more of this, where we're not focused on God and we're being consumed by the world, right? But that is where the spiritual warfare takes place. So we got that helmet of salvation on. We say, no, I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And I'm going to walk in the ways of the Lord. When the temptation comes to do this or that or to, to turn your head left or right and, and get off of the, the narrow path that the Lord wants you on, we say, no, I, I'm going to stay. I'm in Christ and I'm going to walk that way, right? So we have that, and we have that sword of the Spirit, like I said, and we build our lives upon the Word of God. I mean, everything we're learning right now about what the Lord's will is, where are we finding it? We're finding it in the Bible. That's where we're going to get it, right? And then verse 18 says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So what do we see? We see repentance, righteousness, faith, obedience, sharing the gospel with others, this is how we will know the power of the Lord, the power of His Spirit at work in our lives. And we go to the Word of God, and we see what it says, and we make the choice to say, yeah, I'm going to change. Just like we saw with Peter and all those other Jewish believers in Jesus, they had to change. They had to wake up and say, hey, it's not the way we thought it was. We weren't doing everything we should be doing, and now we see that God is revealing something new. And maybe for you, as you're listening to me, God's doing something new in you. Maybe he's begun a good work in you that he will be faithful to complete. And let him do that work and surrender your life to him. All right? We need to trust in the Lord. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. And we walk by faith and not by sight. When I say fix our eyes on Jesus, it's, it's a faith. It's a thing of faith that we do. And we're fixing our eyes on him, and he's got a plan for his life, but we, for our lives, excuse me, we just need to yield to it. We need to yield to his plan and commit our lives to him and, and, and make it our aim to be obedient to what he teaches us, what he shows us in his word. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together as we gather again around your word this morning, Lord. We thank you that you are faithful and true. You never give up on us, Lord. You're constantly reaching out to us by your Spirit, Lord. And I pray for all of those that will listen to this podcast or possibly watch this video, whatever the case may be, Lord. I pray that as you are tugging on their hearts to come unto you, Lord, I pray that they will submit and completely come unto you, Lord. Surrender their lives to you, Lord. Lord, you've got a plan that's far greater than anything. Like I read earlier, eye has not seen and ear has not heard and nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love him. And that's the key, Lord. We need to love you above all else. And we need to seek you 
with all of our hearts and soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, Lord, to honor you in the way we live this life. Sure, Lord, we've got daily lives to live. We've got jobs to go to, work to do, children to raise, all kind of things we do in this life, Lord. But we need you as our rock and as our foundation, Lord. So I pray your will to be done in all of our hearts, Lord, as we continue to seek you through this life. And we thank you and praise you for this time together again. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless. Thank you for listening or watching, whatever the case may be. Um, if there's anything we can do, anything I can do to help you, to pray for you in your walk with the Lord or whatever it may be, uh, you can reach me at Dave at aloveoutreach.com. You can go to our website there. You can fill out the contact form, which is aloveoutreach.com. We'd love to help you uh, in your growth in the Lord if we can. So God bless, and we'll see you next time.